Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe that church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. <laughs> I love it. Oh man, I'm so happy to be here this morning, guys. I can't tell you, like, it really is such a privilege um, to be able to be together. The purpose of our gathering is not to consume. It's not to, like, come and receive primarily, although we all receive because there's the Spirit of God that dwells in every single one of us, and He's uniquely created us with gifts and and those gifts exist to be delivered to and serve the people around us. It's like God going public through people. And so the reason I say that is because there really is like, I feel like a privilege in my soul to be able to come together, not just in isolation by myself, but to come together with a family that God has established on the earth in this place, Temecula, the valley, to be able to come and offer him worship together, to become, come and offer him service. Like if you're at a church service, what does that mean? Does that mean you come to be served or does that mean you come to serve God, to honor him and bless him and praise him and worship him? And so like life can get really busy and life can get, get challenging and, and, and difficult, but man, oh man, when we zoom out and we pause and we see life the way that God actually intended it to be, and the reality that we get to come together to like praise him and bring him adoration and give him our attention in light of all that he is, his glory, his goodness. It's just, yeah, I could talk about that instead of what I have for you this morning, but I'll, I'll shut up. Um, I'm just so thankful. I love being with you guys on Sundays. It's a privilege because Jesus is so worth it, you know? Now this morning, you can go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're gonna be back in Matthew chapter five. Uh, I noticed some of you brought your physical Bibles. Man, points in heaven for you. I love it. Uh, there's something about having the Bible physically in front of you um, because goodness, man, like everything else in the world seems to be migrating online and, and that can be really helpful, but it can also kind of leave us with this really weird disconnect of like the word of God is just kind of out there and it's this arbitrary thing that is like Google and you could just search like not that you know you, it's not helpful or it can be helpful to search for the scriptures through Google and all that but there's something really powerful about the physical word of God and, and knowing how to navigate it instead of just like endlessly scrolling you know so I cannot encourage you enough bring your physical Bible if you don't have one and you want one I would gladly give you one but we are jumping back into Matthew chapter 5 this morning we are in the middle of a series entitled the king and his kingdom where we are going through uh, the, the gospel according to Matthew. And we're right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And more specifically, we're right in the, in the, in the, in the middle of this, this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what's known as the sixth antithesis. Antitheses. There we go. I always mess it up. But it's this whole, like, there's these, there's these comparing and contrasting where Jesus goes, you've heard it said blank, but I tell you this. 
And what Jesus is doing here in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount is he's, he is clarifying some misinterpretations of scripture that the Jewish influencers and teachers of the day were promoting, okay? So he's not contradicting the Old Testament. He's clarifying. He's bringing clarity. Now, I want to give you another heads up. Today's kind of like a part two to last Sunday. I'm going to reference some of the same passage that I did last Sunday, but I want to warn you again, today's kind of a PG, it certainly is a PG-13 message, um, there's some intensity today. There's some, there's some mature themes today. So I want to warn you parents in the room, uh, if you'd like to wave your child to come sit by you, by all means, uh, but I don't want anybody to be shocked by that. Don't feel weird. Don't feel like you're going to be like interrupting things if you need to talk to them. Like if you haven't noticed, we really, we believe that the church is a family. You're not at church, okay? The church is not primarily an event, It's not something to consume. It's a family bought by the blood of Jesus, brought together by him. So you're with the gathered church, okay? So if you need to chat with your kid, by all means, you can do, I can see some of your parents even doing like the look and the signs and that's fine, okay? But I wanted to put that in front of you. Um, Now, last week, kind of continuing on, uh, this is important. Last week, we talked about how Jesus, he teaches and shows that all of us have an adulterous heart. He goes, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you've looked at another person with lustful desire, that you've already committed adultery in your heart. So what he's doing is he's leveling the playing field. You with me? Jesus cares so deeply about our hearts, guys. He's saying all of us have an adulterous heart because he says, essentially, that adultery isn't just something that takes place in the bedroom. Where does it take place? It takes place in the heart. He says, you don't like start with purity and then life happens and sin happens as in choices are made and then now you're not pure. He goes, no, all of us are sexually broken. We have an adulterous heart, okay? And we also talked about how Jesus is really, really good news for spiritually adulterous people because he offers grace and mercy and forgiveness. He transforms our desires from selfish in nature to selfless. So that was last week. Now this morning, we're gonna kind of continue on, like I said. And so what I wanna do before I pray, you can go to flip over to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna start in verse 27. But before we do, I wanna pray for our time, okay? So will you join me? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come closer. We know that you were like as close as you could possibly be, but I guess what I'm praying, what I'm praying for is that you would make us aware of your presence in us and around us right now. I pray that, 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 that you would minimize distractions and help us really hone in on what you're trying to say to us through your word. I know that um, what we're gonna talk about today can be a very sensitive topic. And I really want to honor you and honor people. I, want to, I pray that you'd fill me now with grace and with truth. Grace and truth. And I pray that above all else, Holy Spirit, that you would point us to the beauty and the glory of Jesus in a fresh way this morning that captivates us so much so that it affects how we think, it affects how we live, it affects how we talk. I'm asking for you to bring your kingdom in our lives. 
I love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. All right, and so like we talked about, the king and his kingdom. This is all about exploring what the kingdom of God is like through, God, through the gospel of Matthew, right? The, the, the kingdom of heaven, the, the lordship, the reign, the rule of King Jesus, his ways. All right, so let's jump in here. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 27. This should sound familiar for those of you that joined us last Sunday. It says this, you have heard it said, heard it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, keep, now skip down to verse 31. This is our main passage for today. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. Okay, right there, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24. He's referencing the Old Testament. Verse 32, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. There's that theme again, right? And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, uh, for us, there's like two verses primarily there. There's so much here. We could do six weeks just to break down all the implications here. So forgive me, I'm gonna try not to preach too long this morning, but I wanna give us some background first, okay? Remember how I mentioned to you earlier that Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 24. Uh, I wanna read the, what he's quoting from here really quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses one through four. I'm, I'm gonna read out of the New Living Translation. I think you guys have that one, right? Perfect. Okay, this is what Jesus is referencing. You've heard it said this, right? It says this. This is Old Testament. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce. So think like certificate of divorce, right? Hands it to her and sends her away from his house. Okay, this is what Jesus is referencing. Verse two, when she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. But if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again, for she has been defiled. That would be detestable to the Lord. You must not bring guilt upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession. Okay, what is going on here? Again, Jesus' heart here is he's clarifying, okay? He's, he's trying to bring clarity to what was being misinterpreted and, and frankly, mistaught. And specifically, he's bringing clarity to Old Testament teachers that, teachings that were being distorted to allow for divorce for frivolous reasons, okay? So uh, there's all these old commentaries that rabbis would write to, to help enlighten the Jews, the people of God, to what was being taught in the law, okay? And this is what Jesus is not attacking, but he's trying to clarify so that people have a clear understanding of what God's word is getting at. And remember, it's getting where? He's going after this. He's not so much concerned with this. He's more concerned with the heart because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So here's some reasons that were culturally acceptable for, for husbands to divorce their wives. I'm quoting. Uh, one reason was for fading beauty. I, Here's another one. Quote, a tendency to burn food. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> I'm not about to give commentary on either one of those, okay? Now listen, you gotta, you gotta rewind 2,000 years ago, okay? Um, thankfully, since then, most of society has recognized that women are not inferior to men in any way, shape, or form. But unmarried women, 2,000 years ago, were much more vulnerable than they are today. You see, because unmarried women, like the, a woman's livelihood 2,000 years ago was, it was, it was, it was dependent on marriage. It depended on raising children. So if things went south in that department, how would you take care of yourself? Like you, as a woman 2,000 years ago, you couldn't just like go find a job, independent woman making money for herself, doesn't need a man. Because of so much, there's a lot of problems. I don't want to break it down too much, but misogyny and the oppression of women, like you guys don't need me to tell you this. Ladies, you don't need me to tell you that even today you experienced some of that. Imagine 2,000 years ago. And so what Jesus is doing here, first and foremost, is he's standing up against the mistreatment of women in that culture. He, he's, he's protecting women from being divorced by their husband for frivolous reasons, for burning dinner or from growing old. Jesus cares deeply about women. He honors women. Now, to understand divorce, because that's what Jesus is referencing here, to understand divorce, we first have to understand marriage. We gotta, un we gotta get this. We gotta be on the same page about what Jesus is even talking about here. Now, marriage, what is marriage? Biblically, I don't know if you know this, marriage is a Christian idea. It is a biblical concept. It comes from the creator God of the Bible, okay? And what marriage is, is it's a covenant between one man and one woman. I wanna read you a quote that, uh, that I read at every wedding ceremony I've ever performed, okay? I've, dozens, I've done dozens of weddings. And there's a quote by Tim Keller, who's a, who's a pastor, church planner from New York City, that I read at every single marriage sermon because it's, it helps... I, helps illuminate to the idea of what a covenant actually is. Okay, let me read this to you. Quote, a covenant is a relationship more loving and intimate than a merely legal relationship, yet more binding and enduring and accountable than a merely personal relationship. I love this. It's a stunning blend of law and love. It's a personal relationship made more loving and intimate because it's legal through voluntary, mutual, binding promises and vows to be loving and to be faithful no matter what the circumstances. He says this, modern society doesn't really have a category for this. Modern society orders everything around the experiencing individual self and the happiness and fulfillment of the individual self. In modern society, two people will look at each other and say, I will be what I should be as long as and to the degree that you are what you should be. And if you're not, I'm out. But, he says, in a covenant, two people look at each other and say, I will be what I should be whether you are being what you should be or not. I'm gonna say that again. Listen to this. In a covenant, two people look at each other and say, I will be what I should be whether you are being what you should be or not. Therefore, it's scary to enter into a covenant. And it only works if both people agree to the terms. 
Both parties have to say, I will be what I should be, even if you are not what you should be. If one party says that, but one does not, you have exploitation or even abuse. If both people are saying, you are more important than me, the relationship is more important than my needs, I will be committed to your needs before my needs. I give you my independence. I give you part of my freedom as a gift of love. If both people are saying that, then that is a far more fulfilling, far more deep and profound, far more life-changing and rewarding relationship than a consumer relationship in which each side says, I will be in this as long as you're meeting my needs. End quote. Hear me, friends. Marriage is a covenant. And Jesus shows up because it wasn't being treated like one. Some of the Jewish people were divorcing for frivolous reasons, for wrinkles and burnt dinner. Uh, flip over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Oh, I can hear pages turning. Yes. Like my pastoral celebration, my fist pump. Okay, Matthew chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, don't feel bad. It's up on the screen, okay? Feel a little bit bad. Like, have your Bible with you, but I'm just playing. Matthew chapter 19. Verses three through nine. This is some more of Jesus's teaching on marriage. It says this, verse three. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Verse four, haven't you read? Pause for just a second. I love that Jesus, like he's literally saying to people who have devoted their life to studying the scriptures. He goes, hey, haven't you read? Such a bold one. I love him so much. Haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? He's quoting, he's paraphrasing Genesis chapter one, verse 27 there. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become, what does it say? One flesh. Okay, what's he doing there? He's quoting the Old Testament again. Genesis chapter two, verse 24. Keep reading verse six. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers to send her away? Again, total misunderstanding of the Old Testament, right? We just covered that. Verse eight, he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So he's doubling down on what he's, what he's talking about here in, in, in chapter five. So what does Jesus do in this, this instance? He refers back to the Old Testament again twice. Right, Genesis chapter one, verse 27, and Genesis chapter two, verse 24. And he's basically using those to go, haven't you read, don't you even know what marriage is? You're talking about divorce and it's, you're, in, you're showing that you don't even have an understanding of what this thing is. 
one man and one woman since the beginning, right? Two sexually different persons become one flesh. So my first point this morning is God cares about sexuality. He cares about sexuality. Like, I want you guys to get the picture here, okay? And this is like God's design to becoming one flesh. It's this, it's this manifestation. It's a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality. It's, it's giving yourself to someone fully, exclusively, and permanently. Now, why am I talking about sex? Because two become one. Like marriage and sex, they're, they're inextricably linked in the Bible, okay? When I say inextricably linked, what I'm saying is that that means that they're linked together in such a way that they cannot be separated. They're like heads and tails on the same coin. Uh, over our sabbatical, for those of you guys who don't know, uh, my family and I, we, we were sent on a three-month sabbatical over the summer, uh, 16 years of full-time ministry, and, and it, was, it was an incredibly important time for us to really like rest and recalibrate and really like recharge our batteries and get really close to Jesus. It was, it was a really beautiful, beneficial time. And the way that we started the, the sabbatical was we, we very graciously were enabled to go to uh, Maui for a week. Anybody ever been to Hawaii? Let me see your hands if you have. Yeah, a lot of the room. It's just like the greatest place in the world. Okay, like if you want to imagine what is Eden kind of like, it's very, I, in my estimation, it's very much like Hawaii. You can grow any vegetation you want. It's so beautiful. It's like, oh, it's kind of getting hot. And then, oh, there's this misty rain that comes with the waterfalls and the beautiful warm ocean and the, light, the wildlife. It's just like, just bananas, okay? No pun intended. The bananas there, the apple bananas are incredible. But one of the things that I thoroughly enjoy uh, about our trip was we stayed in this area of Maui where like we were close to the beach and I could snorkel practically every day. And I went to Costco and I got one of those full face mask snorkels. Have you guys seen those? Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Like old school snorkel, you got the eye thing and then you got the mouth thing that's separate, it comes up and you always end up getting water and it's just a pain, right? It's annoying. The full face one is you literally just breathe. You just, it's like, you, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. So I got one of those and like every day, I'm just like cruising around, like getting sunburn on my back, just looking at all these beautiful underwater creatures. We followed around sea turtles. One of the things that was really, really fun to see was all the different varieties of fish. I mean, there's different colors. You got like the Nemo looking fish. You got like the see-through looking ones, the ones that look like a straw. They're so thin and long. And Here's the thing about fish. What happens if a fish is like, you know what? Water's cool and all, but what I really want to do is I really want to live on the shore. And you've seen fish. I've actually seen fish jump out of the ocean onto the shore. What happens to a fish if it decides it wants to live on the shore? You see, for whatever reason, we as people, we tend to think of limitations as things that keep us from flourishing in life. 
But hear me, that's just simply not true. In fact, it's only when a fish actually embraces the limitations of not living on land that they can actually flourish. Okay, hear me. God designed fish. I don't know if you know this, God designed people. And God designed marriage. And God designed sex. And according to the designer, according to the maker, fish belong exclusively in water. And according to the designer, according to the maker, sex belongs exclusively in the context in a covenant marriage. Listen, culture will try to influence you. Youth, listen to me for a second. There's a lot of things coming at you that want to influence you in specific ways. And here's one of the ways that, 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 that culture is trying to influence you in a very negative way, adults too. But it's this idea that you're going to flourish if you act on your feelings. I, I feel like I just the land would be so much better for me than the water. But hear me, friends, feelings don't lead to flourishing. God's ways lead to flourishing. The whole reason that God gives the law, it's literally, here's, your, here's, here's the steps, if you will, to flourish as a human being. being. Don't steal. Don't lie. Like you guys know the Ten Commandments or you've heard of them before. All of God's laws, all of his limitations, they're, there, they're not there to keep you from flourishing. They're there so that you might flourish. Are you with me? That's God's kingdom, friends. When we talk about his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his ways. The kingdom is what leads to flourishing, not our feelings. Listen to me. Please don't, please don't lose sight of the fact that God himself designed you. Can we just sit here for a bit? I think this is really important. The God of the universe designed you. Like all of your intricacies, all of you, like every element of your personality. all of who you are at the deepest level. He designed you. The scriptures say that you're his workmanship. Do you know what workmanship means? It literally, it means the skillful work of a craftsman. I knew a guy who um, used to sculpt eagles with the most incredible detail. He would sell them for like, thousands and thousands of dollars. Remember this? Like he would, like tens of thousands of dollars for these like massive eagle sculptures out of wood. That, and the reason he could charge so much was because the level of detail was off of the charts. If you saw it, you'd be like, that's incredible. You're his workmanship. Only you're not a block of wood. You're something far more complex than that, man. The skillful work of a craftsman. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
you. Not just the other people sitting around you, but you, man. Bible says he numbered the hairs on your head. Talk about intentionality. Now, there's not going to be 20,719. There's going to be 20,720. Friends, he designed you in specific and intentional ways. Why? To bring him glory and to love the world around you in unique and specific ways. So hear me say something. You are not an accident. You're not an accident. And neither is anybody around you. I don't know if you know this, but in the kingdom of God, diversity is like not just celebrated, it's like a big deal. God designed marriage and God designed sex. Get this, pre-fall before sin was introduced into the world. And it was good. So hear me, please. Sex, it's a gift from God that is exclusive to a marriage covenant between a husband and his wife. Right? The two shall become one flesh. And what God has brought together, let no one separate. So listen. Jesus is, he's trying to clarify this teaching that they, they, had, they, they, they clearly didn't know what marriage was, so therefore they clearly don't know what divorce is. Jesus is teaching that, that delivering a certificate of divorce, it doesn't dissolve a one flesh union just because your dinner was burnt. But he says, adultery, however, it does. It, it's no longer a one flesh union covenant union. The, the, the act of adultery, it, 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 what it does is it sets up a one flesh relationship with a different person and therefore that, that one flesh union, that marriage has dissolved. That's Jesus' point. One of my favorite things about the gospel is that it can renew anything. It can redeem anything. It's really powerful. Now, some of you are already going down this road. You're already thinking about, okay, what about the gay community? Like, there's, there's implications here. I think the most pressing questions that the church faces in this age, in this time, are centered around, frankly, how we as the church have treated and oftentimes mistreated the gay community. Let's talk about it. Um, now here's the thing. Any conversation about sexuality is ultimately a conversation about marriage, right? The coin, heads and tails. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is teaching about marriage being one man and one woman, right? Fully, exclusively, permanently giving yourself to another. And that sex being reserved exclusively within marriage. Hear me, it's you don't need me to tell you this, but it's wildly controversial. There's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of pushback. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about that? And the reason why it's so controversial is because it's really countercultural. But hear me, friends. Jesus' teaching on marriage and sexuality has always been countercultural. 
Like even when he delivered it as we read it here 2,000 years ago. Back then it was different, right? Back then the, uh, it was countercultural because what men would do so commonly is they would go around their wives and have sexual relations with other women and other men. Very common in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. Like I can't even, like, again, we have these modern Western minds where very different cultural context. And it was happening all the time. So again, Jesus' teaching on marriage and sex was radically countercultural then. Today it's different. It's countercultural now because this idea that marriage is only between one man and one woman instead of a whole list of alternatives, one man and seven women, or one woman and four men, and one man and one man, and one woman and one woman. Like, it's controversial today for different reasons, but hear me, it's still controversial because it's still counter to the culture. So then what does this mean for infinitely valuable men and women, dare I say boys and girls, who are same-sex attracted? What does this mean for them? Flip over to Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. I'm doing okay on time. I'm going to try to motor through this. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24 says this. Then he, he, there's Jesus, Lord of, Lord, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, says this to them all, okay, to a, a large group of his disciples. If anyone, can you everybody say anyone with me? Anyone. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever, everybody say whoever. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Two key words here in Jesus' call to follow him as Lord and Savior. Anyone and whoever. Gay, straight, man, woman, teenager, elderly, anyone. Hear me. It's not about orientation. It's about obedience. Um, this week, Tracy and Dorian and myself uh, went to a, a conference that was dedicated to child discipleship for this emerging generation. And there are so many things that this emerging generation is facing that those of us from previous generations did not face. And there's, so there's some things, there's, 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 some, there's some realities that we're gonna have to grapple with. And we have a choice of whether or not we're gonna remain people filled with grace and truth or not. Grace for all sinners, yet the truth of who God is, what he's done, and what that means for every living person. And so we went to this conference. It was wildly helpful. Some really incredibly faithful Christian leaders um, trying to help equip 
pastors and leaders and kids ministry workers and youth directors on how to selflessly, sacrificially, biblically love and serve to see little boys and girls grow up to be faithful disciples of Jesus. And so I just want to like really quickly, you guys, I know that you know this, but I want to say it. Dorian and Tracy are such a gift to us like to your family, to your household, whether it's you by yourself or you and a bunch of kids or whatever, like they're such a gift to us. They're, they're, they've, I can't tell you how much they sacrifice both time, both financially. I don't know if you know this, but no one's getting rich in ministry unless you're not part of our church. <laughs> they love your family. They pray for you by name, you, your kids, and they're literally give, like they're dedicating their lives to see our church family, all of us, be healthy spiritually. Um, and so I'm with Dorian and Tracy. We're at this conference. And there was a guy who was, who was speaking at the conference who, uh, who I read some of his books, um, but I forgot that he was going to be there. And I'm like, oh, he walks on stage. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, I'm so glad that he's here. He's such a helpful voice in the Christian community is this guy, Sam Alberry, And Sam's a pastor, he's an author, he's a theologian, brilliant guy. Okay, he's English, so he just sounds even more brilliant than he probably actually is. But he wrote a book, um, a small little book called Is God Anti-Gay? And I wanna read you some quotes from what Sam says in his book. He says this, quote, um, and he's, he's literally commenting on what we just read in Luke chapter nine. If anyone wants to follow me, Whoever, right? He goes this, quote, it's the same for us all. Whoever. I am to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. Every Christian is called to costly sacrifice. Denying yourself does not mean tweaking your behavior here and there. It is saying no to your deepest sense of who you are. For the sake of Christ, to take up a cross is to declare your life as you have known it forfeit. It is laying down your life for the very reason that you're, uh, sorry, I'm going to say that again. It is laying down your life for the very reason that your life, it turns out, is not yours at all. It belongs to Jesus. He made it. And through his death, he has bought it. Now listen. He isn't writing this as some like insensitive bigot towards the gay community. He's writing this as a man who is exclusively sexually attracted to other men. There's all this data coming out about the percentage of the population that would identify as same-sex attracted, okay? And I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's in the teens. The percentile of, I think women, it's a little bit higher, men, it's a little bit lower. But it's in the teens, percentage-wise, of, of men and women that would identify, literally would say, like, I'm, I'm attracted to the same sex. Now, the data that's coming out that, that would say for people that are exclusively, like, only attracted to people of the same sex is much, much lower than that. Like, under 5% of the people who identify as same-sex attracted. And Sam is one of those very few people who exclusively is attracted to men same sex. He continues, quote, 
Ever since I have been open about my own experiences with homosexuality, a number of Christians have said something like this. The gospel must be harder for you than it is for me. As though I have more to give up than they do. But the fact is that the gospel demands everything out of all of us. If someone thinks the gospel is somehow slotted, yeah, if someone thinks the gospel has somehow slotted into their life quite easily without causing any major adjustments to their lifestyle or aspirations, listen to this, it is likely that they have not really started following Jesus at all. Friends, hear me, please. Jesus' teaching on marriage and sexuality is really clear. He says marriage is between one man and one woman. He says sex outside of marriage is sin. And hear me, and he says all of us are sexual sinners in our hearts. Guys, listen to me. There are wildly faithful Christian disciples of Jesus whose sexual orientation is towards the same sex, some of which exclusively. And yet they courageously and boldly submit to the lordship of Jesus. That means they're living their life the way any other unmarried disciple who is devoted to Jesus would live. Celibate. Because just like fish belong in water, sex belongs in the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman according to the designer. So please hear me. All of us, the entire human race, all of us are sexually broken to one degree or another. All of us misuse our sexuality and therefore we all need God's forgiveness and grace to cleanse us. Can I just encourage you with some of God's word? 1 John chapter 1 verses 5 through 9 says this. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And what does it say? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, the gospel levels the playing field, man. There's not varsity disciples and JV disciples. There's people, there's the human race who is sick with sin. All of its flavors, all different kinds, and we all need the forgiveness of Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is that he opened his veins so that we might have just that. 
and it cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Hear me, it's not about orientation, it's about what? It's about obedience, because he's worth it. What does he say? If anyone wants to follow after me, let him follow his feelings. No. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross every day, man, and follow me. Jesus' invitation is to any and all sinner, guilty of any and all sin. Um, if you want some more resources in, in this conversation around faith and sexuality and marriage and even gender stuff, um, Sam Alberry, he's a, he's a wonderful resource. Um, he's written a, a handful of books I want to say to you. If, if you forget him, you can come talk to me afterwards. But the one that I quoted from earlier is God Anti-Gay. is a really quick but fantastically helpful resource. Um, he wrote another book, Seven Myths About Singleness. So if you or someone you love is really wrestling with singleness, like that's a really helpful resource, whether they're, whether they're same-sex attracted or not, okay? That's a really helpful one. And then he also has another one that's more recent, What God Has to Say About Our Bodies. Really helpful books. I want to put those in front of you. There's another, um, another helpful uh, kind of leader in the, in, the, in the broader church. His name is Preston Sprinkle. Um, he, many of you guys have, have read some of Preston's stuff. Helpful books, but he, he runs um, the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. It, it's center to, I think it's centerforfaith.com. You can go there. So many helpful resources, um, especially for parents and students, like wildly helpful, again, to maintain this, 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 this priority of grace and truth so that we can all experience the fullness of the kingdom of God regardless of our experience, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of where we find ourselves today, okay? I wanna put those in front of you. Now, my, uh, my next point, I'm almost done, guys. My first point was that God cares about sexuality. My second point here that we see, God cares about marriage. He deeply cares about marriage. Um, can you guys throw up that photo of the Yellowstone? Okay, so this is a photo of my family and I on the sabbatical. Uh, one of the things that we did was we took a long drive to Yellowstone. Anybody been to Yellowstone in the room? Dude, it is spectacularly beautiful. Um, in my opinion, I've been to several national parks. There's like Yellowstone and all of the other national parks. It's like on a league of its own. It's so large. There's so many different things you can see. It's so glorious. Now, oddly enough, we, we didn't stop at many of the, well, I think we went to six national parks this summer, which was wonderful. Uh, we, we typically didn't stop for the photo in front of the sign because there was always, whenever we would drive past it, there was always this line of like Instagram famous people with their selfie sticks and doing the whole thing. And we're like, I'm not gonna wait in line to take a photo in front of a sign. But this specific instance, we had driven south to the Grand Tetons, which is another national park just south of Yellowstone. And it was this like gloriously beautiful drive. And we're coming back into Yellowstone where we were camping and there's nobody there. And like, like you can kind of tell in the background, it's like golden hour. So it's just just gorgeous, man. You can kind of start to see some of the beauty of the river there. And like, it's just a phenomenal place. If you can, if you can make your way there, I highly encourage it. But in what you don't see in this photo, what you see in this photo is you see a happy family who's stoked to be at Yellowstone, making memories together. What you don't see is that we're being murderously bitten by mosquitoes. 
okay? So if you ever wonder if me and my family can put on the face and smile when we're, when we're getting destroyed in life, it turns out we can. And so <clears throat> we took a picture in front of this sign, and it kind of speaks to me in some really unique ways, friends. Listen to me. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, God describes himself as the groom and his people as what? The bride. He's the groom, his people are the bride, often his unfaithful bride. But the Bible show us that marriage is a sign. And what do signs do? They point to something. They point to something. They direct you to something. Friends, hear me. God cares about marriage because it's a sign that points to something. It's a sign that points to the glory of God and the goodness of his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his ways, his design. So hear me. I want you to consider the implications for just a second. Consider the implications when marriage is either distorted by the culture or redefined by the culture, not only is like sexuality distorted and redefined to the world, but in some sense, so is God. The stakes are high. Primarily because of what it says about the very one it's pointing to. Marriage is a sign. Jesus says to understand divorce, you have to understand marriage. And listen to me. I just want to be clear really quick. I know, just, I look around the room, and I know there are some of us in the room, several of us in the room, you've experienced the very real and traumatic pain of divorce. And you know it's not the way things are supposed to be. But hear me. There's a whole other sermon I'm just going to kind of 30,000 foot view this. There are biblical grounds for divorce, clearly. There are biblical grounds for divorce, adultery, abuse, and abandonment. But none of them are frivolous because of what's at stake. Let me read you a quote. Russell Moore, gifted, wonderful voice in, in the church today, says this quote, there are some narrow instances in which, in which the sin of a spouse dissolves, dissolves the marriage covenant and therefore di divorce is warranted in those cases. Listen to this. Divorce is not a sin, but, for, but is first of all a recognition of what is already the case, that the one flesh union covenant is dissolved. And in the case of adultery, abandonment, or abuse, the abused spouse should feel no condemnation at all in divorcing, end quote. Here's what he's saying. There is frivolous divorce that Jesus is condemning, and then there is biblical divorce. Biblical divorce is not a sin, according to the Bible. What it is, is it's a recognition of what's already happened. And what's already happened in the case of abuse, abandonment, adultery, is that that one flesh union, that covenant, has dissolved. And it's heartbreaking. 
And it's not the way it's supposed to be. But it's nonetheless, for many, a reality. That leads me to my final point. God cares about sexuality. God cares about marriage. And hear me, God cares about you. Uh, May 24th, 2009 is the day that I married Ebony Rivera, now Ebony Logue. And it was, it was, a, it was an interesting day, primarily because Ebony looked beautiful and I did not. Uh, some of you guys have, you guys know our story and, and things and like, I'm wearing a tuxedo that is at least two sizes too big. Um, this was back in the day when you rented tuxedos. And they gave me a tuxedo that would fit someone who isn't me. And so my tux, like my tux is way too big. I forgot to get a haircut, which is, shows you where I was at in life. My, I, looked, <laughs> I looked so bad, okay? Uh, I don't have pictures for you on purpose. Um, only so much shame I can handle publicly. But regardless of the insecurity in me about how I looked that day and how beautiful Ebony looked, it's one of those things I'll never forget standing up in front of family and friends, staring into her eyes and making vows to her. Like, I will cherish you as long as I'm alive. I will, I will put you before me. No matter what the circumstances, like right, the sickness, the in health, all of it, like, I'm committed to loving you. no matter what the circumstances. She made the same vows to me. How many of you know uh, a wedding is different than a marriage? It's all like super like sweet and awesome. And then that first fight, you know, you're like, oh man, this is, I live with this person. Um, Guys, there's, there's times in my marriage when I have not been the husband that God would have me to be for Ebony. Probably more times than I can count. And, and there's times when it's been vice versa, you know? Listen to me. The truth of the gospel of Jesus is that the church is Jesus' bride. And he is their bridegroom. And marriage is what? Marriage is a covenant. That means I will be what I should be whether or not you are what you should be. Marriage is a covenant. Do you not see the beauty of God's design? God is faithful to his covenant relationship to his people, to his bride. That means he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He has not, will he never, will he ever be the husband that is lacking, the husband that's not, not being anything but perfectly loving towards his bride. He'll never be unfaithful. He'll never abuse He'll never abandon. 
What's your relationship with God like? Is it like a covenant? Or is it more like a transaction? Is it more like a transaction where like, when you don't do what you should do, you feel like he's changed? That his affection for you is less because you screwed up? Or on that same transactional side, if he doesn't do what you want him to do, well, I'm pulling back. Like, do you have a, do you have a covenant relationship with God? Or is it something else entirely? Listen, he's faithful, period, no matter what. No matter how un- unfaithful you are, he's faithful. Do you have a covenant relationship with God where he's faithful even when you aren't, when you know he'll never leave or divorce you? Do you have a covenant relationship with God? Jesus is talking to people to get to the heart. Because again, if we, if we misidentify what reality is based, based by the truth giver, the designer, the creator, the maker, we're gonna be totally disoriented as a people and we're gonna miss the point. I wanna call the, the band up. I'm gonna close with this. If you're on the prayer team this morning, would you make your way over to the side for me too? That would be a huge help. Okay. This is, a, this is a tough one for me, guys, because this really should be like five sermons, and trying to fit all of this stuff into one is a challenge, so hopefully you're still with me, but here's how I want to end. I want to reinforce this reality. God cares deeply about you. He designed you. He knows you. He made you. He cares deeply about you. He cares deeply about marriage and he cares deeply about sexuality. And all of us, all of us have brokenness in our lives that God desires to heal. How do we know? The gospel. Jesus came to live the perfect life that you and I never could. Totally pure, totally honest, totally righteous. And then he died the death on the cross as our substitute absorbing the punishment for our sins, for the ways that we reject God, when we follow our feelings instead of his ways. Jesus experienced the fullness of God's punishment so none of us ever would have to. It's the good news of Jesus. And it's available to anyone, no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you struggle with. But the playing field is leveled, man, okay? Why would anyone give up their deepest feelings the things that they want really bad. Why would they give that up and, and, and instead live life God's way, their designer's way, their maker's way? Why would they do that? The only reason someone would do that for any amount of time is because Jesus is better. <sighs> He's so much better, man. Why is he better? because he's faithful no matter what. Because he's loving no matter what. He's a covenant keeper. You hear me? He's a covenant keeper. 
Jesus is worth it. So this morning, um, I'm gonna make a bold statement. Every single one of you need ministry. So do I. Because all of us have brokenness in our lives because of sin. And God's desire is to with, like through the vehicle of his hands and his feet, his body, the church, provide care and love and service and ministry so that our brokenness might be made well. Why? So that we could experience the fullness of living in his kingdom and not just us living in it, but advancing it on the earth, God's rule, God's reign, God's ways that result in human flourishing. So maybe you're here, you don't have a covenant relationship with God. It's been transactional. It's been maybe religious or maybe you've drifted into that. If that's you, please, there are trusted men and women on the, to the side that want to pray for you so that you can experience the freedom of not having a relationship with God that's transactional, but one that's covenantal. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here and you're battling the challenges of singleness. I'm not, I'm not even talking about orientation. That's gay, straight, whatever. You're, you're, you're in that spot where like singleness is a struggle. It's, it's, it's tough. Listen, God wants to care for your heart. He wants you to experience the joys of that season of life, no matter how long it is, even if it's your entire life. The, old, the, New, or the New Testament talks about how it's better not to marry for several reasons. It's not a slam on marriage. It's exalting a, a deep level of intimacy with the Father. Maybe that's you. Please receive prayer. Maybe you're here and you're facing challenges in your marriage or misunderstandings in your marriage or obstacles in your marriage. God cares about your marriage deeply. Go receive prayer from trusted men and women. Uh, some of you are engaged to be married. And maybe, just maybe, God wants to encourage you in some unique and personal ways. Receive prayer. Uh, and maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, I genuinely, my season, my, the season of marriage that I'm in, it's actually pretty strong. It's pretty robust. Yeah, we have our moments, but like, we feel like there's a, there's a legit deposit of God's goodness and grace, not just like in my mind, but like we're, we're living it out, man. If that's you, Maybe this morning, God might, I believe he will, begin to bring people to mind for whom he would have you encourage and be a safe friend, brother, sister. Maybe just maybe minister through you to encourage people to fight the good fight. So we're gonna open up the rest of our time for ministry. Here's what's gonna happen. They're available. You can make your way over to people with have the little lanyards. They'll pray for you. Trust the men and women. Receive prayer. Um, the band's gonna lead this in, a moment, in some time of, 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 of responding to the goodness of God through praise. Literally, what praise is, is it's an offering. God, you're worthy. You're worthy of my voice. You're worthy of my body. You're worthy of my mind, my thoughts, my actions. And I wanna declare that, not just think that, Praise is not necessarily thinking. It's letting, it, it, it's like putting something on the altar, burning it, and letting that incense rise to the heavens. That's what praise is for. It's an offering. 
So we're gonna, we're gonna respond to the goodness of God in praise and we're gonna receive ministry. We're gonna minister to each other, okay? Feel empowered to do whatever God might be inviting you to do this morning, okay? Let me pray for us. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak now. If there's anybody who like is missing right now, would you speak to us? Is there anybody that, that's fallen through the cracks right now, Holy Spirit? I feel like God's highlighting pride. It's like he's highlighting that there's um, somebody in the room who uh, has, has kind of slipped into for many years feeling like, oh, I'm in a good place. I'm in a good place. I'm not like them. I'm not like that person. I'm not like that person. And it's, and it's kept you from experiencing the transforming power of the healing of the gospel for your own life, which requires humbling yourself. And I feel like God wants you to know that he desires freedom for you. He desires you to take up your cross and follow him. And it requires dying to self. And so, Father, that's my prayer for every single one of us in this room, that we would never, ever take the bait to elevate ourselves over another person based on what they, how they fall short because all of us fall short. All of us have missed the mark. That's what sin is. And it levels the playing field. But it also what it does is it shows us our desperate need for you. And because of who you are, Jesus, because of your grace and your mercy and your power and your love, you made a way for us to live transformed lives as kingdom sons and daughters devoted to you, devoted to each other, devoted to your kingdom. Show us the way. Give us faith to believe, faith to trust. I ask your kingdom to come and your will to be done in each of us, Lord. Free us. Let us act in faith not just think. I love you, Jesus, so much. Amen. All right, friends, would you stand with me if you're able? This is your time. Um, band's gonna lead us. Uh, prayer's available on the side. Go at any time. Um, and then in a few moments, Herrick's gonna be up to close us, okay? Love you guys very much. And we thank you. There's no one like you. Jesus, you came so that you might present the church in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, but or anything like that, but holy and blameless. That's the, that's the kind of husband that you are to the church. You're the, you're the Christ who loved us, the husband who loved us and gave himself up for us to make us holy, cleansing us. And I pray that today that each one of us would be encouraged by that, that we would be in awe, that actually like the short, the ways in which we've fallen short would only serve to magnify him. 
will only serve to grow our gratitude for his grace. God, we love you and we're grateful to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. I'm going to close this out here. Jesus fulfills his vows. He fulfills his vows. He cares about your sexuality. He cares about your marriage. He cares about you. And he has, he has come to fulfill everything that was promised beforehand. He's come to provide a solution for our sin. He has come to renew and restore us in our sexuality and our marriage, marriages, our singleness. He fulfills his vows. He is faithful even when we're not. And I hope that you're encouraged today. I think there's, there's uh, one thing that I want to just quickly bring before you guys, which is that all of us experience barriers to actually, ex to in this conversation about sexuality and marriage, all of us have barriers to come to Jesus. And there's one specifically, Lisa, if you wouldn't mind coming up, that kind of came up. If you don't know Lisa, she's, she and Heidi oversee the prayer team. They're always praying for you for this time. And there's a word that she feels like she has uh, for the church. So... Hi, um, I just had a picture of someone standing before God, like they want to come to him, um, but they're holding a list that uh, keeps extending further out on the floor, like a scroll that keeps falling out further, um, almost like the things that would keep them from coming to the Lord, like you don't understand. Um, he very much understands, he knows, um, and I would love to pray for you. No baggage is too much for Jesus. His blood covers a multitude of sins. His love covers a multitude of sins. And so for some of us, it's barriers that might get in the way. I just want to encourage you, like, don't let those barriers get in the way of experiencing this radical love that he has for you. And on the other side, some of us have opportunities within, our, uh, within being renewed, within our marriages being renewed, our singleness being renewed, our sexuality being renewed. You have opportunities for sacrificial service and for love, for obedience that would benefit other people. So I just want to put those in front of you, like, which is it for you? Are there barriers to bring to Jesus or are there opportunities to begin to process and pray through that he might have? Ways to love and serve within whatever your marital status is, whether you're married or you're single, it doesn't matter. What would he have you do? It's 12 o'clock on the dot, so I'm going to go ahead and do, close this out, soft close. Uh, if you have kids, please go uh, grab your kids to relieve the kids' workers. Uh, if you don't and you want to stay and hang out, you want to go get prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Um, the, the final thought I want to leave with you is I've been thinking about Forrest Gump for a while this morning. And if you don't know what Forrest Gump is, it's time. It might not be time, actually. It's not a Whatever. It may not be time yet. But Forrest Gump was this guy who was a very simple man. He's not a smart man. But he knew what love was. And he really did. Uh, he loved this girl, Jenny, who was... She ran. Very broken person. She, he, she ran from people, from situations for good reasons. She was really hurt. But one of the things that, that Forrest Gump told her, he was, she was the love of his life. He would say to her, like, you're my girl. You're my girl. Like, no matter what she did, no matter how far she drifted, no matter where she ran to, you're my girl. And he wouldn't stop until he had his girl. I just want you to know, like, you're his girl. Like, Jesus would, I think, say to you, like, you're my girl. And now, I get it, for guys, it's like, it's a little confusing. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, there was circumcision, which is confusing for the women. In the New Testament, we're the bride. Cool. Everyone wins, everyone loses in this situation. He loves you is my point. You're his girl, man. Seriously, go get your kids. Go get prayer if you need it. Lots of love.